So I want to see if you guys have been paying attention in class. So this is the test. Three things that we have learned so far in chapter 1 of Colossians that Paul has been praying for the Colossians. I want somebody to tell me the first thing that he prayed for. Crickets? What is the first thing that Paul prayed for the Colossians? That they would what? Can you cheat? Can you cheat? Sure. To be filled with God's knowledge? Okay. Filled with God's knowledge. Okay, that was the first thing. Now somebody else. What's the second thing that he prayed for? For this church? They would walk worthy. Okay, that they would walk in that knowledge. Now this one may stump you. What was the third thing that he prayed for them? Rewarded. What's that? Rewarded. Yes! That they would have rewards. Where? Where, where did he want them to have rewards at? Judgment seat. The judgment seat of Christ. And again, that is a short, simple prayer that I wish everybody would pray for other Christians and other people. Number one, we need to be filled with God's knowledge. We need to walk in that knowledge. And then he wanted them, to, when they stood before Christ at the judgment seat of Christ, he wants them to be rewarded because they did what Christ wanted them to do. And so I throw all that out there. Because I'm hoping you guys are grabbing this, okay? Because again, if I'm just up here, if you're just here to see somebody that talks real smooth, you're in the wrong class. And if you're just here to see somebody with good looks, you're in the wrong class. My desire is that you guys learn from what I'm learning in the Word of God. Because you're forcing me to learn when I get up here and teach, so I want you to pick up on and I want you to grow. I want you also to be filled with God's knowledge. I want you to walk in that knowledge and I want you, when you stand before the judgment seat of Christ, for Him to say, uh, well done, good and faithful servant. That's that's what I want for this class. And you know what? It's biblical. <laughs> I got it right out of the Bible. Okay? So, uh, that's kind of my introduction. But I have another introduction to, uh, review chapter one, which we've already done basically. But my note, my uh, handout here says, we've studied Paul's intro to the church at Colossae. We studied, uh, first of all, his introduction and then his message. And what we see here is the introduction we, to the book. We see Paul's message. And Paul's ministry. And what we see here is that we've discovered that his ministry and message are intertwined. So when we read through our New Testament, you'll see Paul giving out doctrine all over the place, but it's intertwined with his life in his ministry. So uh, as I was kind of going through getting the outline for the lesson today, I was finding out, well, it, it's jumping from ministry to uh, to his message back to his ministry, back to message. And so you're going to find the doctrine 
mixed in his life all the way through the book of Acts. And then it comes out in, in, in the books that we have, if that makes sense. So uh, here in Colossians, as well as the rest of his books, Christ gave Paul the doctrine for the New Testament churches. Have you ever thought about that? Now, I, I'm not trying to put Paul up on a pedestal equal with Christ, but Christ gave Paul the doctrine, the teachings for the New Testament church. Okay, And they are recorded in the Pauline epistles for us. And Christ gave Paul to deliver to the church a new dispensation. We talked about that last week. A new, a new judgments, new mysteries, and new promises. In fact, Paul even says, uh, this is my gospel, the one we have in the Bible. And some people think, well, Paul, just who do you think you are? Well, Christ gave it to him to give it to the churches. And so uh, all those are centered around Paul, but they're centered specifically around the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ for the church. Okay, so Colossians chapter 2. Now we're all, we've only taken seven weeks to get up to this, but now we're on chapter 2. So Paul, or, uh, Colossians chapter 2, Paul writes through the Holy Spirit, and we're going to read 1 through 10. We'll back up and see what we can find in it. It says, For I would that you knew what great conflict I have for you and for them at Laodicea, and for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh that their hearts might be comforted, be knit together in love unto all riches, uh, the full assurance of understanding to the acknowledgement of the mystery of God and of the Father and of Christ. Now, there is a mouthful in that verse. So we're going to unpack that in a minute. Verse 3, In whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Is that what your verse Bible says? Does it say part knowledge, some knowledge? All knowledge, okay? And this I say, lest any man should beguile you with enticing words. For though I be absent in the flesh, yet am I with you in the spirit. Join and behold in your order and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. So let me just stop for a second. Paul really has a desire to get to this church, to see them face to face, to give them, give them some first-hand knowledge and information that they need. Because he's concerned about this church, okay? And I mean, he, I mean, he's just chomping at the bit. He wants to be able to get there, to see them, to impart with them the truth that Christ has given him. Verse 6 says, As ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him, rooted and built up in him, established in the faith, as ye have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and ye are complete. What's the next word? In him, which is the head of all principality and power. I mean, Paul is just chomping at the bit to get to this church to help them to give them some doctrine because he doesn't want them to go AWOL. Okay? He doesn't want somebody else to get there before he does to teach them some bad doctrine and to take them away from the simplicity of, of the gospel, which is in Christ. And so that he has a great conflict for them. Number one on your handout says Paul's conflict for the church at Colossae. Now, I want you to know his conflict for the church at Colossae is the same as Christ. 
and the same as Christ's conflict for us. Okay? Conflict is defined as a, you have a blank there, right? I, the word fear goes in that blank. So Paul's fear for the church at Colossae, it's a struggle, it's a contention, it's a fight. Okay? It's, uh, here we go again. Uh, Paul has, uh, it seems like wherever Paul goes, there's a conflict. There's a conflict in what he's preaching. There's a conflict in, in, in where he goes and what he does. And every time he goes into the synagogue, and if you're a part of Paul's team, if you're Timothy or, or Silas or some of the other guys, and you go to a new town, and Paul goes into the synagogue, and it probably after this first or second town you've been in, you're like, oh man, he went into the synagogue. He did it again. You know what's coming. Well, number one, he's given them the gospel, but number two is there's always a fight. There's always a fight there. And so Paul, as well as the Lord, had a conflict for this church because he's, he's, he, he's wanting to them to, to, uh, adhere to the gospel, adhere to the word of God and live their life out and not get pulled astray. So Paul feared that the church of Colossae would not be grounded in, number one, unity and love. Let's go back and look at this. Verse 2 says that their hearts might be comforted being knit together in love unto the riches of the full assurance of understanding the acknowledgement of the mystery of God and of the Father and of Christ. So he's fearing for this church, number one. He goes, he doesn't want them to go AWOL. He's wanting them to understand uh, the full assurance of understanding the mystery of God and Father and Christ. And like I said, that is a big mouthful. What does that mean? Number one, the mystery of God. So some people will say, well, there's there's one mystery here. Verse, uh, we saw a mystery up in chapter 1, verse 27. It says, To whom God would make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you. That's the mystery. The indwelling of the, of the Holy Spirit. The hope of glory. We're down in verse 2, he says, and That their hearts might be comforted, being knit together in love unto all riches of the full assurance of understanding and to the acknowledgement of the mystery of God, comma, and of the Father, comma, and of Christ. Well, there are several mysteries that you can find in the New Testament. In fact, I have seven of them listed in my Bible. But there's more than that. But to the church specifically, there are seven. And he says here, the mis- and, and here's the hard part about it. They kind of all intertwine also. The mysteries to the church somewhat intertwine. And so what is this mystery of God that he talks about right off the bat? Uh, he says, to the acknowledgement of the mystery of God. So what is the mystery of God, guys? Okay, well, let's go over to Revelation because I have a cross-reference to Revelation 10.7 and it's going to clarify this all up. Okay? In fact, let's back up to verse... Uh, uh, verse 5. And the angel which I saw, Revelation 10.5... And the angel which I saw stand upon the sea and upon the earth lifted up his hand to heaven. He swore by him that liveth forever and ever, who created heaven and the things that 
therein are, and the earth, and the things that therein are, and the sea, and the things that which are therein, that there should be time no longer. But in the days of the voice of the seventh angel, when he shall begin to sound, the mystery of God should be finished, as he hath declared to his servants the prophets. So it's it's clear as day what the mystery of God is. Okay, so what is it? Crickets again. You know what? I have problems. I have a hard time when I read this. What is the mystery of God defined right there? And the only thing that I can come up with is basically the second coming is happening. That's been the mystery all down through time that God has given to His prophets. This is going to happen. The mystery is everybody's like, really? When? Where? You know, how's this going to take place? The mystery of all the things that have been happening since Adam and Eve passed us all the way up to the end. And what is the mystery? Is God is unfolding His coming kingdom. Okay? So that's somewhat what I would say the mystery of God. But let me tell you, I did a really bad job explaining it because it's way more than that. Okay? It's everything compiled together. God's mystery for, for everything is going to be revealed. Okay? The fact that it's a mystery is not the fact that we didn't see it. It just hasn't been revealed yet. So that's what a mystery in the New Testament or a mystery in the Bible is. It's a truth that hasn't taken place yet. Okay? So, so in essence, every book in the Bible talks about this mystery. The second coming. But it's getting ready to unfold in Revelation 10-7. It's at the point that it's happening right then. Okay? That's the mystery of God, so to speak. And then number two, it talks about in Colossians, uh, chapter two, the mystery of God and of the Father. Now that one's a little harder. That's a little harder to figure that one out. So, uh, I've got a few verses for you here in your handout. Number one is 1 Timothy 3.16. So let's go back and look at that one. What is the mystery of the Father? Okay. The mystery of the Father that's talking about here is the mystery of, of Christ. And let's look at it. First uh, Timothy 3.16 says, And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. So it ties right in with the mystery of godliness, which is what? God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the Spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up into glory. So what is that mystery again? What's that? Godliness, or the Bible also says the mystery of godliness, I have it defined in my Bible, is God in human form. So when Christ... What's that? (coughs) Yes, to a degree. But there's also a mystery of Christ. And again, these all somewhat intertwined. But the mystery of godliness is God in human form in, in Christ. You're right. And so you're like, well, wait a minute. It says, it says, uh, mystery of, of the Father. Now, where, where are you coming up with Christ at? Okay, you're asking good questions. Turn over, turn over to Isaiah chapter 9. Isaiah 9, 6. 
Of course, you guys know this verse. <coughs> we see it around Christmas time. It says, "For unto us is born, unto, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given." <coughs> Excuse me. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting What Father. It's really hard for us to free, to keep it in our mind all the time that when uh, when Jesus was here, <coughs> it wasn't just Jesus Christ; it was the Father also. Because remember, He told His disciples, and His disciples asked Him, "He goes, show us the Father." And He goes, "Hey, you've seen Me; you've seen the Father." Okay, and so. Uh, the mystery of the Father again is He's embedded in Christ as a human. It's the mystery of godliness. And I have a little note here to study this out. <laughs> because again, I will not be able to find all these the way they should be. So we have the mystery of God, the mystery of the Father, and the mystery of Christ. Now that's also what it says here. And again, they all intertwine. Roger. So the mystery of Christ. What is the mystery of Christ? Okay. Okay. Well, let me just give you right up front what it is. The mystery of Christ is the Jew and Gentile in one body. That's the mystery of Christ. Oh, thank you. So, what's that? Oh, were you? I'm just sitting here going along. I'm like, okay, thank you very much. Uh, let's turn over to Ephesians chapter 3. And I think I have 1 through 9, but we'll probably read the whole chapter. My little podium doesn't have a place for water. I'm going to have to... I wonder if I could just put that on my list. Hey guys, I, I need this. What do you think they'll say? Get over it, Bob. That's what they'll say. Okay. Okay. Used to say, "Oh, that's a good idea." When are you going to get started on it? Yeah. Okay. Right. I'll set it on the bottom then. Okay. Chapter three of Ephesians says, and again, we're looking at the Jew and Gentile in one body. And we're going to see if this if this chapter backs that up. Uh, chapter three of Ephesians says, "For this cause, I, Paul." the prisoner of Christ, for you Gentiles, if you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God which is given me to you, word, how that by revelation <coughs> he made known to me the mystery... <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> Somebody doesn't want me to talk. Anybody got a donut? I probably need a donut right now. <laughs> See how I snuck that in there? Okay. <clears throat> Let's start over. Chapter 3. For this cause I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, or Jesus Christ, for you Gentiles, if you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God which is given me to you, word, how that by revelation he made known unto me the mystery as I wrote afore in few words, 
whereby when you read, you may understand my knowledge of the mystery of Christ. So we're going to define that here. Which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men as is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the spirits, and here it comes, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs and of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel. Okay, so right there, Jew and Gentile in one body. Number seven, or the church. Whereof I am made a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given unto me by the effectual working of His power. Unto me, who am less than the least of all saints, is this grace given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. And to, sounds familiar with Colossians, doesn't it? And to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery which from the beginning of the world hath been hid in God who created all things by Jesus Christ to the intent that now unto the principalities and powers and heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God according to the eternal purpose which he purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord and whom we have boldness and access with confidence by the faith of him. Wherefore I desire that ye faint not at my tribulations for you, which is your glory. For this cause I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named that he would grant you according to the riches of His glory to be strengthened with might by His Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, and that ye, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height, and to know the love of Christ which passeth knowledge, that ye might be filled with all the fullness of God. Wow, basically lines up with what we're talking about in Colossians, that he wants them to be filled with all the fullness of God. 20, now unto him that is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us, unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. So that basically... He talks about what is the mystery of of Christ, Jew and Gentile in one body. But along with that, he keeps throwing out there that Christ wants us to be filled with his knowledge and the, and the promises and everything that goes in that. So the mystery of Christ, and let me just go through a couple of mine in here because they all these mysteries to the New Testament church all go together. So I've tried to list these out. The mystery of godliness, which we've kind of looked at, is God in human form. That's the mystery of godliness. We see that in 1 Timothy 3.16. The mystery of the indwelling of the Spirit of God, which is Christ in you. That's a mystery. How can Christ be in us? When we accept Christ as our Savior, the Holy Spirit fills us. And... We have Christ in us. And then the mystery of Christ, which we just saw was Jew and Gentile in one body. To a Jewish guy back at this time, that was huge. Because they didn't want anything to do with a Gentile. And probably the Gentiles were kind of the same way. And then there is a mystery of the restoration of Israel, which we haven't talked about, but I'm just going to give them out to you. Um, that Israel's going to be restored. Okay? 
Uh, and we're seeing that happening before our eyes, that the, the nation of Israel is back as a nation. It's going to get back on top. It, it's going to be restored. Uh, the mystery of the rapture of the church, that's one of the mysteries. Okay, uh, The mystery of iniquity, we can see. And the mystery of Babylon the Great, all of those are given to the church. The ones we were focused on today was the first three. The mystery of godliness, which is God as Christ in human form, which is also the Father in human form. And the mystery of the indwelling of the Spirit of God, the mystery of God indwelling us, and then the mystery of Jews and Gentiles being in that same body. Okay. Iniquity, the last one is the mystery of Babylon the Great. We'll see that in Revelation 17. So you can, you'll find more mysteries, but you'll see those main seven probably taught in D2. Rex has taught, started teaching them in here too when you've had him teach. Has he? The mysteries? Okay. So the New Testament church needs to know those mysteries. To the average Christian, they have no idea what any of these mysteries are. They can't define what is the mystery of Christ. They can't define what the mystery of godliness is. And some of them may have, we'll see different wording for them, but basically that's what they are. So Paul is fearing that the church of Colossae would not be grounded in these because you have to have the full assurance of understanding this mysteries to be filled with the knowledge of God. Okay? So ultimately, Paul feared that the Colossians would be led away from Christ, that something would pull them away from what we have in Christ here. And you know, that's been, that's been, uh, Satan, Satan's and man's plan all down through history is to pull people away from God. Okay? And that's why there's such a massive attack on the Word of God today. Because that's the only place you're going to find it. You're not going to find who God is and His knowledge. You're not going to find the Gospel outside of the Bible. And when they start taking words and phrases and things out of our Bible, it just downplays that. So number one, Paul has a conflict. He has a great fear for this church, specifically before he gets there to see them. He's like, man, I hope this church is still there when I get out of jail because I want to go see them. I want to... uh I want to give them some more information. I want to encourage them. I want to show them what they have in Christ. And so they don't uh, get enticed by what someone else says. So as we continue on back back in Colossians, as we went through the first couple uh, verses there, let's keep going. Back on the back side of your handout, it says, Paul warned the church to look out for some things. Okay? And so let's go back and read that a little bit. Paul warns the church in Colossians 2, verse 8. He says, Beware, lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit and after tradition of men and after the rudiments of the world and not after Christ. So there are some things that Paul warns the church right there. Number one, man's enticing words. Now what does that mean? Man's enticing words. Anything man says almost. Okay, pretty well. Um, we'll just think, you know, uh, what have you had people try to persuade you to their way of thinking? And they got to use words, don't they? Mm-hmm. 
they have to use some kind of gimmick or words. Um, and the first, and so Satan uses men that use enticing words to pull us away from the truth. And so I've, I've talked to people when I've, I've worked. I remember asking one lady, uh, uh, she was talking something about church. So I asked her, I said, so where do you go to church? And she named me the church, the big name church in Kansas City. And I said, really? I said, so what, what do you like? What, what do you really like about the church? She said, oh, the pastor's just fantastic. And I'm thinking, okay. And uh, I said, so what, what about the pastor? Oh, he, he is just such a good speaker that it just blows my mind just to listen to him. He is such a good speaker. Now, you want to know what was going through my mind when she said that? Or so are car salesmen. Mm-hmm. It's not just the fact of how you say it. It's what do you say? And so you can tickle people's ears all day long, and they think, "Oh, that guy—he's just a fab. He's a—he's spe- such a great speaker. He's so polished, kind of like me." No, <laughs> and I've told you before, and maybe it's just because I'm not polished. I—I I kind of watch out for those guys that speak flowery words, okay? Because that's the ones that usually end up biting you, right? I had to tell people, bring it down to my level, because I don't understand what you're saying. Bring it down to my level. Yeah. And they just give me a look. I said, okay, uh, fifth or sixth grader, you know, bring it down. You know, I don't know that they ever did it, but, you know, I couldn't think of anything right off the bat, but just bring yeah, it down. Yeah, use, use some smaller words. <laughs> okay. That's, that's me. I don't, I don't get all the big words, you know. Uh, but anyway, man's enticing words. He said, watch out for those. And then man's philosophy. So, give me a definition of man's philosophy, somebody. Follow your heart. Yeah? I'll sum it up with, in this. Man's wisdom. That's what philosophy is. It's man's wisdom. And you know, a lot of, you know, a lot of people go, go back to, um, uh, Socrates, Plato, Whenever I think of Plato, I'm thinking of the, of the Play-Doh, right? Uh, uh, man's wisdom. You know, most of those were just were just Solomon saying in the Old Testament that, that they've twisted around and made him say something else. But um, man's philosophy is just man's wisdom. Okay? And I don't know. you got to watch out for man because men will, you know... They'll take you for what you got. Man's He says, beware, lest any man spoil you through philosophy. And then he says, vain deceit. Um, vain deceit. So, vain means empty. And deceit means what? Deny, deception. Okay. Interesting. Watch out for man's enticing words, for man's philosophy, his wisdom, for empty or deception, or another word for deceit would be fraud. 
That's man's vain deceit. And then it says, what's next on our list? After the tradition of men. Man's traditions. Okay, Watch out for those. You know what Paul calls religion? Hold your finger here and go back to Galatians 1.14. Galatians 1.14. Paul is talking about his own life. Start, let's, in fact, let's go back to verse 13. It says, Galatians 1.13 says, For you have heard of my conversation, my life, my lifestyle, in times past in the Jews' religion. And then interesting, he calls it the Jews' religion. How that beyond measure I persecuted the church of God and wasted it. Okay, that was his testimony. Verse 14, And profited in the Jews' religion second time above my above many of my equals in mine own nation being ex, being more exceedingly zealous of the traditions of my fathers he basically says the jews religion is tradition and so and that that makes sense because not only did they have the law but the, but the jews added all their laws to the law and that's what they were always going uh uh in a struggle with Christ when he was here in the earth during the, you know, the gospels, they're all like, well, you did this, you did this, you did that. And he goes, they're not in the law. They're in your, they're your traditions. So he basically says man's tradition is basically religion. And that's why I'm so happy. We don't have a religion, do we? We have a what? A relation. We have a, we have a faith. We don't have a religion. Somebody can steal your religion, you know, especially if you're worshiping a, an idol, you know. And Pastor Brian talks about that when he went through the book of Judges. When it, Micah had the idols and they came in and stole them, they goes, they stole his religion, mm. his traditions, his, his idols. So he says, watch out for man's traditions. Okay? And so I also looked that up. Because I like looking everything up, you know. I got nothing else to do, right? As people say, I have no social life, so I just spend all my time reading books. You wouldn't know it, but anyway, traditions. It, the definition of tradition is a giving over to. A tradition definition means a giving over to. So if you have a tra- tradition in your house, you give over to this whatever it is. Okay. Now, I'm in the dictionary, or actually I'm in my concordance going down the list, and I got Young's, if you, if you, how many of you have a Strong's concordance? Okay. How many of you have a Young's concordance? Pick that up if you can. It's, it's a really good concordance because I like it because it, it takes the words and separates the meaning, all the little different nuances of the word, it separates them out. So, like in Colossians here, when it uses tradition or whatever, it'll separate that that nuance, that Greek word out specifically that's used in that verse, because there may be a lot of different nuances of the of the word, but yet it breaks them down a little bit farther than Strong's does. So I'm going through that, and I'm looking at man's traditions, and it says a giving over to, and the next word down was traitor, traitor, T R. A-I-T-O-R. And I just happened to look at it. It says, one who gives over. 
And I'm like, ooh, that's really close to traditions. Tradition is a giving over to, and a traitor is one who gives over. And I'm like, hmm, there's a connection. That's my point. Between traditions and traitor. It's kind of wild. So, and then I got to thinking about the next one, man's rudiments. And again, what is a rudiment? I don't use that in my definition. Do you, uh, apparently you probably don't either, Diana. No. I don't use your, anybody else? Okay, who's the highfalutin talk group in here? Okay. I have to go to a different class to find those guys, don't I? Uh, <laughs> somebody who uses the big words and all that. Uh, it's basically teachings or principles, rudiment. You know, once I, I'll tell you this, I, I would just throw this in for free. As we were, I was going over on a mission trip and we were going to have to go through a translator and the pastor told me, he goes, Bob, you do really good working with a translator. I go, yeah. He goes, I go, why is that? He goes, well, number one, you don't talk very fast and number two, you don't use any big words. <laughs> and I thought, hey, good. And I'm like, well, wait a minute. Uh, I think I just got slammed. (laughs) But he goes, you'll do real good with that. Okay, hey, just whatever it takes to get, you know, get get the the word out, right? Bless your heart. Yeah, I should. I watched Andy Griffith too, you know. Okay, bless your heart, you poor dumb person. Uh, Okay. so, man's rudiments. So, what does that mean? It's man's teachings, his principles. You know, things taught in schools, our colleges, our seminaries. Be careful where you get your information from. Because Paul said, watch out for man's rudiments. Now, I, I, I want to kind of pick on Education here, and, and I even put seminaries in there. You got to watch those, okay? If if you want to be now, let's stop and think about this. If you want to be, pick anything. I, I don't care. Throw throw out. If you want to go to college to be something, throw out a doctor. A doctor. Anybody else in, besides doctor? Just throw some. A doctor, a lawyer, uh, an engineer, a street engineer, uh, sanitation engineer. Uh, food engineer, anything. Okay. Can you just take the courses you want to get that degree? No. You've got to take a bunch of crap courses first, don't you? Yes. Why is that? Well, number one, they want to make money off of you. But number two, they want to pour a bunch of man's traditions or rudiments down your throat. That's right. Okay. Did they? I think almost any school will get that way. You know, it's like, why in the world, if you want to be a doctor, do you have to go through Greek mythology? Why do you, if you're going to do, if you're going to be a anything, why do you have to have all this other information? Okay. So, I'm sorry, am I hit, I'm not, are you taking some subjects you don't have, really need? I had to take algebra. Oh, that's why I said in high school. Okay. But at least you're not taking in philosophy 101 or something, right? So you had okay. I had gotten associate in arts because I didn't know what I wanted to do, and it was all the basics. Okay, so when you had the basics for when I went and got my vet tech 
places. Okay. So even when you do the basics, they, they throw stuff in there that really don't pertain to what you want because, number one, they're trying to give you man's wisdom is what they're trying to do. They're trying to give you man's rudiments of the world. And, you know, I have to... Yes? I took philosophy uh, 101 or 100 or something like that back in uh, at Longview, and the very first argument that they try to teach you is that there is no God. Okay. Day one. Yeah. That's in the 80s. That That's in the 80s. Unfortunately, you go to seminaries, it's kind of the same thing. They want to teach you that, number one, your Bible's not good. Right. And they want, to, they want to take Christ out of your life, basically. In seminary? Yeah, they'll do it. There are so many pastors out here that don't know the Bible and may not even be saved, but they went through seminary. I, I don't... Get that, but you know, if you don't teach them the Bible, you just teach them man's wisdom, the rudiments, whatever they want you to know, and you come out speaking really well, but you don't come out speaking the truth. The first person that preached at Cleveland that I knew, Bob Sims, mm-hmm. first went there, and he had not had any seminary or anything when they hired him, and he started going to Midwestern, and mm, a year or so into it, they started teaching him stuff that he argued with and they got mad at him instead you know for arguing with them and debating what they were teaching and he finally dropped out and just did his own study I don't think he ever did get uh, a seminary certification type thing good for him so so I'll just pick on the Southern Baptist for a, a minute oh, yeah. the Southern Baptist claimed that it, what is a Southern Baptist it's someone who follows the Southern Baptist convention and when I first heard that, I'm like, how whacked is that? Mm-hmm. And the book I was reading was in 1960. I mean, I'm not talking about lately. In 1960, it was defined by the president of the Southern Baptist Convention that you are Southern Baptist if you adhere to our principles. Well, if someone asked you what you are, and you might tell them, well, I'm a Baptist, or I go to a Baptist church, or, or, or you might say, I go to a Bible-believing church, and you, or so that better question would be, to me, would be, why do you go to this church? Because it teaches the Bible, because it, te- they teach you the mysteries of the Bible, because they, they take the aspects of the Bible and teach it to you. But, you know, most people don't, cannot say that. Even people that attend church on a regular basis cannot tell you why they go to that particular church. And a lot of the reasons are, well, we have they have really soft pews. We have a really good kids program. Uh, the pastor speaks really well. Uh, they have a they have ten services each each Sunday. Mom and dad, grandma and grandpa. Very good. That that from way back, it's like, well, yes. Okay. But what was the movie? It had a little bitty short guy that played in it. Um, he's like almost like a, a little kid. Don't make Simon Birch. Simon Birch. Did anybody see that movie, Simon Birch? Years ago, it's a funny little movie about a little kid that's, that that has a major problem, and. 
he he has a health problem and he's not probably going to live real long and yet he's still alive and so he's 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 in this church and and uh he pops up cuz the pastor goes hey uh, next week we're going to start coffee and donuts and this little kid pops up on the back row on the, on top of he stands up on his seat and he goes what does coffee and donuts have to do with learning the word of god and they told him to sit down and shut up and and I'm like and at this, when that was going on, they had just started a coffee and donut place in our church, and I, and I mean it really hit me when they when he said that. I'm like, and, and then I, I remember that movie because he goes in and he tells the pastor. He goes, Pastor, he goes, Why did God make me the way I am? And he goes, And what is my purpose? And the pastor goes, You know, I I, I can't tell you. I really don't know what your purpose is. And I thought, what a smuck. The guy should have been, that's probably a guy, he might not even been saved. Some kid came in and asked you, what, what's God's purpose for my life? Number one, it's for you to know Him as Lord and Savior and then live your life for Him. And he couldn't even tell him that. He's like, I don't know. I don't know why God made you the way you are. But he didn't go into any more detail. And I thought, what a terrible movie. But anyway... What's that? Just eat a donut and coffee. And so what, what I liked about the movie, the little kid got up and said, hey, he just kind of said what he thought. And of course, they always shoved him down. But anyway, man's rudiments, teachings and principles. So he says warning. So when I read this all the time, when I, when I see the word warning, like I said, I, everything I know in life, I learn from, from the Bible and cartoons and movies and stuff. I think of the Lost in Space show. When the guy goes warning, warning, and the guy's the arms are flying all over the place, we need to take. They need. We need to watch this warning in uh, the book of Colossians. And so, uh, I preached this. I preached a message on Colossians one where it says, "Beware." When I went to Mexico last, and so I'm up there just preaching away, and I said, because the people down there are really superstitious and they have all these things. So I was just saying, okay, here's what the Bible says: Beware of this. Beware of these. Beware of that. Beware of all this. A man's traditions. And I was trying to hit him, you know, pretty hard. Well, the missionary, Joe, Joe is, uh, Joe, uh, Hendricksman. He's flying along with me till I kept saying beware and he would stop. And so finally later he goes, he goes, you know, when you say beware, when you said beware in the King James, he goes, the Spanish don't have a really good word that translates beware. And I was having a hard time trying to figure out which word to put in there. So that's why I kept pausing every time you said beware. And I'm like, he goes, because it doesn't transfer over really well. But we need to beware. Okay. So point C, Paul informs the church back in, in uh, Colossians. If I get back there, he says, to walk in Christ, to be rooted in Christ, to be built up in Christ, and to be, you have a blank there, it's established. Did I miss some blanks before that? Did you guys pick up on them? So under man's, under B, with Paul warned the church about man's philosophy and man's traditions. That's probably the two biggest. Okay. But under Paul informs the church to walk in Christ, to be rooted in Christ, to be built up in Christ, to be established in Christ, in the faith, to abound in Christ, to give thanks in Christ. And what, did you see the key two little, the little two letter word that's in all of these? In. In. 
Everything that you have is in Christ. Okay? He's trying to basically tell the church at Colossae, you've got everything you need in Christ. You don't need anything else. Because all that, what man wants to do is say, no, you don't have everything you need in Christ. And so we've got to give you some more info to go with it. Okay? But Paul tells them, no, you've got everything. Uh, the next bullet point says that they are complete. Complete goes in your blank. In Christ. For in Christ is the head of all principality and power. For in Christ is the fullness of the Godhead. Now think about that for a minute. Fullness goes in your blank. In Christ is the fullness of the Godhead. you got God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, all of them wrapped up in Christ. Because you can't separate any of them. Okay? For in Christ is the fullness of the Godhead. Okay? If Christ is our Creator... He is our sustainer. He is our redeemer, our savior. And the list goes on and on. Why do we need to go anywhere else? You don't. So verse 119, or, uh, 119, let's go back and look at that of Colossians chapter 119 says, for it pleased the Father that in Him Christ should all fullness dwell. Okay, and then go back down to chapter 2 and verse 3. In whom, in Christ, are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Okay, and then down to verse 9. For in Him, Christ, dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Okay. And then all the fullness of Christ is in us. We are complete. Complete goes in your blank. Another word for complete in that particular instance is filled full. So all the fullness of Christ is in us. We are filled full in Him. Verse 10. Now there are some churches that teach when you get saved, you gotta do these other things too to be completely indwelt with Christ. And I'm speaking in the tongues group. If you're not speaking in tongues, then you didn't get filled all the way. I know it. But in Christ, we are full. So, you got two more blanks. I'm going to wrap this up. All the fullness of God is in... What do you think goes in that blank? Christ. And all the fullness of Christ is in us. We are complete. Filled full in Him. I'm repeating myself, aren't I? Am I confusing you? I am so sorry. <laughs> hey, match the rest of us. Okay, so there's no one else. There's nothing to be added to. There's no other organization, no other government, nor schooling, nor experience, or tongues, or anything that we do that fills us up anymore in Christ. When we accepted Christ, we got all of Him. Okay? So, let me give you two more things here and I'm going to wrap up. So, when you want two good things to, to just put in your pipe and smoke it, or your life and, and live it. Live out these two things. Number one, watch out for men who are for abortion, for population control, and for wars. That's just my take on it. And then, 
The second one is watch out for men who want to change your Bible. If you do those three things, or four things, or whatever they are, that will help you out. Watch out for people that are for death. And watch out for people that want to take your Bible or change it. And that will help you out too. Okay? Because that's going on now. You'll see all these things take place. And when you find... Yes? Did we talk about this last time? Or or did you see the article about AI? uh, And the WEF wanting AI to rewrite a Bible? Oh, the Bible? The Bible? Yeah, okay. So the premise of that is we want AI to write the Bible because the Bible we have now is made by man and it has errors in it. So they don't realize, no, we have a Bible that was given to us by the Holy Spirit. They just got the wrong Bible. Format, right. Right, but again, it would be, it'll still fit in all these things up here. Man's enticing words, philosophy, vain deceit, traditions of man, all that. But yeah, they want to do that. They want to take your Bible. They have to change it because they want to make it man's Bible instead of God's Bible. So let's pray. Father in heaven, we come before you today, Lord. And I just pray for, our, for everyone that's here, Lord, that we would not be swayed by the things that your your word, what we've studied today say, that the traditions of men, the rudiments, the philosophy, anything outside of what this word says, Lord, help us to to uh, uh, not be swayed by that, but help us to put our, our truth, our foundations, our life, our, our, our uh, in your promises in your book, Lord. And I just pray that we would live out our life for you. And I just ask you to give us a good week. Give us opportunities to, to, to see truth and to see, uh, to see falseness, Lord, and then that we would abide by what your word says. So I pray for that in Christ's name. Amen. So Beverly, I'm sorry I had you all confused. Okay. Well, I'm sorry. So I probably was running in circles and I'm sorry for that. Is there something that I did not answer? No, they answered it. Oh, they did. What was it? Just curious, what was it? The last blanks, or yeah, the last two. We all had three different. Oh, really? Well, I was reading ahead, but okay. Okay, so you had Christ and complete and fullness all messed up. Okay. The last two was off. Okay, all the fullness of God is in Christ. And you had us there, maybe? Yes. She had us. I had complete. And I'm going, this doesn't make sense. I was like, where did I get that word? All right. And all the fullness of Christ is in us. So it like threw me all off. And I'm going, okay, I just lost the whole context of what they were just talking about. You you fell asleep for two seconds and you lost it all. I know. (laughs) Okay. Woman, I'm in class and you just made me mess all my... (laughs) Messed you up. I'm sorry. Well, we got you straightened out now, though, right? Okay. I have the right answer. <laughs> okay. I had two women come to my house and ask me, said, don't you want to live on earth forever? Don't you want to be on earth forever? I said, no, I'm going to go to heaven. Yeah. She's Jesus Christ. And she says, you don't want to be on earth? I said, God's going to smoke this baby. Yeah. He says he's going to destroy the earth. Right. And I said, won't be here. They turn around and walk on my porch and got the car and left and never said no more. When I told them, I said, I'm going to heaven. Right. Jesus Christ. Just, you do what? 
That was Jehovah. Yes. They believe you're going to be on earth forever. Right. That's a Jehovah's Witness. Believe that. They don't believe in hell. So what are they doing? They're taking they're taking the things out of the Bible that they don't believe in. Oh, really? Yeah. I, I don't. I don't. I, they always come. They, you know, churches right here. They come by my house. Yeah. And, and they ain't been by since I told them. I said, no, I'm going to heaven to see Jesus Christ. He's my Savior. Yeah. And said, so you don't want to be on earth. God's going to smoke this baby. He's going to burn it, destroy it. Yes. Do away with it. Yes, he is. And he might be able so to do if you give them, hybrid. if you give them some scripture with some right thinking, then it just blows their mind. And I, I just don't... Yeah. I don't compute a lot of things that people, I mean, I don't understand. But that's, that's, but I'm learning yeah, but that's man's wisdom and not the Bible's. Yeah. yeah. It, you know, it's kind of amazing. They just, they just make up what they want. 